Welcome to the Goal Crazy Podcast. We explore what it takes to reach your crazy goals. I'm your host, Jason Vandeveer, and together we're going to learn to take life to the next level in Goal Crazy. Let's get started. Welcome back to the Goal Crazy Podcast. I'm really excited for this episode because I have the opportunity to bring on one of the the mentors that's helped me over the years, B. Patel. He helped me get started with real estate. He also helped me with Goal Crazy. But as I've mentioned in some of the other episodes, I have a handful of rental properties. And B, he has a bunch of apartments. He actually owns a handful of hotels also. And he uh, was very helpful and he mentored me and guided me as I was getting started with my real estate career and then also starting Goal Crazy. So I'm excited to bring him on because he has a really neat story, actually. He got his first motel when he was 19 years old. And uh, well, I'll just let him share with you guys here the rest of his story on this podcast episode. So be sure to check him out and let's go crazy. All right, welcome to the next Goal Crazy episode. Today, I'm excited. I have the privilege of being here with B. Patel. He's a real estate investor. And B, just, just tell us about yourself. Yeah, hey, Jason. Thank you so much for having me. B. Patel here, principal at Green Harvest Capital and our new joint venture, Spark GHC. Yeah, love it, love it. Yeah, so uh, you know, you've got a pretty interesting story getting started in real estate. Do you want to talk a little bit about how old were you when you came to America? Yeah, I was nine years old. My family's from India. My father was a teacher, wanted a better life for us. And so we migrated here in 1994. How well do you remember that? Do you remember that pretty well? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's very visceral, right? Uh, I was in a boarding school from four to eight, and then my parents uh, brought us here. What uh, what was that transition like? Because I mean, the change from, I've never been to India, but India to America, I mean, is it just like completely different worlds at that time? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I guess like if you ask me as a nine-year-old what the biggest difference was, I was just like, wow, everything's really big. So you got, your family moved here. Did you always know you wanted to get into real estate? Um, No. Real estate was always top of mind. I wanted to do manufacturing, but that's a story for another time. Okay. Okay. So decided to go the uh, real estate route. And um, I know when we've talked in the past, you got to your first deal, you know, I don't want to give it all away, but you were you were really young, right? How old were you when you got your first real estate deal? Tell us about that. Yeah, I was 19 years old. I offered to work for an individual for free. They thought the price was right, so they hired me. Uh, yeah. That's how I can describe it. And so, you know, at the time, uh, it was a 27-unit apartment complex that was ran as an extended stay hotel. And I was able to land a sizable contract. And the current owner at the time in his wisdom, decided to sell it to me on a land contract because he knew I could make the mortgage payment for six months. Hmm. For six? What do you mean for six months? You had well, six so, months to pay it all back? No. I So basically, I had landed a, a $200,000 contract for 13 apartments for six months. And hmm. this company took it, which prior to my acquisition of that asset, the most business the gentleman had done over an eight-year period was around $320,000. So he knew that, you know, the way that I thought about housing of companies versus, you know, just transient people was the right play for the asset. So you, uh, yeah, you had to be a good salesman. You convinced someone to sell them their building to a 19-year-old kid, their, uh, their hotel at the time. Yeah, I, I did, however, pay him twice the interest rate that he had with the bank. So he made <laughs> a substantial amount of money from me. Okay. Which so you got good. your uh, first first deal then. 
what was that like as a 19 year old kid? I mean, uh, was it more than you could chew at the time? Is it, uh, did it align with what you were expecting? No, no, it definitely, you know, it's scary, right? Because Would you recommend that to a 19 year old kid now. <laughs> wow. That's a good question. Um, yeah, yeah. I would say, awesome. you know, if you ask somebody that's highly intellectual, like, you know, what differentiates somebody that succeeds a lot from somebody that doesn't, I would say at a young age, you're too dumb to know you can fail, which is great. And secondarily, you're young enough to recover from anything, which is great. So if you have the passion for something and, and you have a can-do attitude, give it a go. You'll learn along the way. Yeah. What do you feel like were some of the things you learned along the way with that? Wow. From the acquisition, everything. Yeah, I mean, let's say your and, first hotel there. Yeah. yeah I, I didn't even know what an LLC was. I was uh, going to school at Akron University. I'd ask my law professor, hey, you know, what's a limited liability company and, and, and what's the difference between a C Corp and that? Why should I do that? Right. So the basics of that, secondarily, responsibility, right? You have a mortgage payment, you have utility bills to play, you have insurance to pay, property taxes. All of a sudden, you have employees, HR, a higher job and family. I mean, you learn a lot very quickly. Mm-hmm. I think though that's such a good, like, uh, I'm sure, you know, you've got, you know, hundreds, thousands of apartments now. It's like, you probably get asked questions about real estate all the time. And it's like, I know when I meet somebody who they want to get their first deal. Now I only have 10 apartments. So it's not like I've got the, the level of wisdom that you have, but it's like, they ask these things that just aren't relevant yet. Like, well, how do you file your taxes at the end of the year? And it's like, Bro, how many properties have you even toured? Right? Like <laughs> you gotta get your first deal. Like once you get your first deal, like that next challenge, like it will present itself. But yeah, you gotta start with getting your deal because none of the other stuff is even relevant then. You know what I mean? Yes, sir. Yeah, you, you definitely have to start from a perspective of the first transaction, the first asset. Start with an end in mind though. I always say this. Mm-hmm. Like it's like understanding why you want to do something is more important than how you do something. Mm, I like that. So you got your uh, first real estate deal. How long was it before you got your next one? 2005, I, I did my first acquisition. 2007, I attempted my second acquisition. Okay. Um, what does that mean? Well, so I, you know, 2008, the world changed a little bit. Um, right. yep. And so when I attempted in 07, I bought a 108 units complex, which was a hotel. And we had to tear down two buildings uh, due to the recession, it was very painful. You know, the lender called the debt. Um, so I was around 25 at the time. No, I was younger than that. It just seems like it was a really long time. Yeah. You know, in my early 20s, it was something that I had to get through where I went back to grad school, try to comprehend the relationship between macro and microeconomics, which is very important. And basically had to rethink everything I knew about real estate. How important of a lesson do you think that was when you went through that to what you're doing now? Extremely important. Yeah. Because it teaches you that no matter what, you can, with given enough time, you can find a solution to a problem. Mm-hmm. Secondarily, having a macro understanding of the markets and the economy is just as important as finding a good deal or understanding how to be a good salesperson or, or any of the other traits that are required in order for you to be an owner operator. Yeah, I think that's good. Cause it's like, lots of times we have life like that where it seems like the end of the world is happening, yeah. but then years down the road, it's like, that was the biggest blessing, right? It forced you to change the trajectory that you were on and 
led somewhere even better. Absolutely. I, I got married during that time, right? So, you know, it gave a pause to my life where, you know, made me rethink a lot of what I thought was important when I was 19. What was your family thinking of you at the time? So uh, yeah. I don't know if this, like, did your, was this a similar lifestyle to what you had before you moved to the States? Kind of, no. <laughs> no, we were pretty, uh, you know, we lived in a village in India. My dad was a teacher. My mom was well-educated, but, you know, was a housewife. And so when we came here, my parents ran a small 10-room property. And it was, you know, we worked. My dad worked in a factory um, in Brimfield, Ohio. We lived in Talmadge, Ohio. We ran a small business and, you know, Midwestern life uh, grew up. And so at an early age, you know, I realized that if we were going to improve, right, that it was important for me to be able to be the breadwinner, to be able to support my family. So, you know, very entrepreneurial from a young age. And, and that's, that, that's what drove me, right, at a young age was, hey, you know, the candy attitude was like, hey, how else are we going to do this? I like that. Yeah, when you brought up your, you know, having a strong why earlier, it's like that was that was your driving source, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So you want to get that. What do you think it was about hotels that drew you to that? As uh, yeah, I don't most, know. I guess I haven't considered hotels, but uh, yeah, what attracted you to those? Yeah, most Indian people were in the hotel business that I, you know, when I grew up. I mean, what do you think it, that is? It's still the case. 62% of all select service brands are Indian owned. And, you know, that's like Marriott Hilton's. And so I think it's cultural. In 1967, Nixon passed the Skilled Immigration Act. And that was the first time post-civil rights that many of the intellectuals from India saw America as a place that they wanted to come. So if you're a doctor or engineer or just a lucky person, you know, you would find your way into the United States. When they came here, if you were a doctor or a lawyer, you would have to go back to school. An engineer could find a job, right? So everybody went back to school. I guess, you know, this is pre-computers, right? Also inherently, you know, if you're educated, you're decent with math. Keeping books came natural to these immigrants. Mm-hmm. And the franchisors like that, that, you know, that the books were in order. They were hospitable people, hardworking, just like any other immigration group, right? You know, it's like that was the opportunity of the time. And so they latched on to it and then they scaled it. That's my uneducated hypothesis. Okay. That, that's yeah. just. <laughs> hey, I think sounds better than what I could have come up with. Yeah. I think that uh, makes sense. And I know earlier, before, you know, we, uh, we were just talking before we started this, you were talking about having your perspective coming as an, as an immigrant to just all the opportunity that is here in America. Talk about that. What was kind of like your mindset coming into America? and the level of opportunity we have here. Yeah, I mean, you know, my mother is probably the best businessman I know. And you know, she would say that? Well, because, you know, it was her vision that, that helped us get visa to come to America and get out of a village, right, in India, which is, if you think about it, you think out of your surroundings, you think about all the access you have for resources, education, materials, right? She didn't have any of those, yet she had this singular mindset of like, hey, there's a better life in America, right? And, and they worked for it. And so they had originally gone to the Canadian embassy to apply for a visa. And, you know, they were not able to get it. And so they were driving back from the embassy. And then they were in the big city, which is Mumbai at the time. And my mom said, why don't we try the Americans are already here. And so it was literally a chance, right, that she took. They, they stood in line at the immigration embassy. 
and then, you know, walked in and basically said, hey, we want to go. We want to see the country. And that's how we got in. It was pure luck. Right. And then the determination to have a better life. So, I mean, that's the foundation of it. Right. Now, for me, it's my life experience of being able to get a good grade school education, which led to a high school education, being able to go to Akron University for a nominal cost. Right which seems a lot, but, it, you know, still it, relatively, it's not that expensive. And then being able to go to grade school, I've asked multiple people for help along the way over the years. Because was school like that just not part of your normal life in India, going to having those opportunities for even education? Yeah, no, education is available. Quality education right. probably is a different thing, right? Mm, okay, yeah. It's 1.3 billion people. I mean, they have incredible institutions, but Having reach, having access is very, very difficult. Like if you're the smartest person, one out of like 10,000 people, you might get a scholarship, right? Well, here, if you're one out of 10, you'll get a scholarship, right? And then it's like law of averages. So, you know, 300 million with abundant resources, access. I think when I went to college, I remember reading a statistic, which was like, there was $5 billion a year that people at Akron U had access to for grants, scholarships, things like that, which wasn't applied for or access, right? And I think it's similar today where we have abundant resources. Yeah. So that's also kind of your mindset when you're coming into America of just the opportunity. There's an abundance of resources here. Yeah. And and if you ask anybody for help, genuinely, most people will help you. Mm -hmm. I think especially with real estate, that's really important thing. And that's how ultimately like we met, right? I met, you talked about real estate. You helped me with goal crazy, getting it going. It's uh, yeah, people are They've done it before. Most of the time, they're pretty willing to share with you like, well, this is how I did it. (laughs) I did. I made some mistakes here. Right. And these are some of the things I did right. Yeah. I like it. Okay. So uh, you had that building. Now, when you first got started on real estate, were you doing all of your projects yourself? Were you there, you know, fixing toilets, as they'll say for, yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. There's no other way to do it. Right. (laughs) I was telling somebody, my record was 42 toilets in one day. And that was like replacing them because, you know, you, you could pay somebody $250 a toilet or do it yourself and the whole toilet's $200, right? Yeah. Wax ring the whole nine. And it's like, you know, if, unless you learn at that level, I think it's difficult, you know, as you scale for you to comprehend, you know, timelines, project scopes, quality of work, unless you've done it. So putting in hot water tanks, electrical outlets, you know, toilets, drywalling, mudding, light fixtures, carpeting, tiling, LVT flooring. Painting. Yeah. Absolutely. So you, uh, yeah, you really were hands-on, learned it all. How, how often do you do things like that now? Um, by choice. Okay. I'm lucky. Yeah. But you know, there'll be times where, you know, you get the itch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Go do a repair. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah. Cause I would say that's also with like my real estate right now, I do, 90% of everything, right? Sometimes it's just not worth the time to go out and do a project. And some projects I actually like enjoy more than others. If I can fit it into my schedule, it's like, there's something satisfying about like you brought up a hot water heater. It's like you wrestle around with the thing, you know, typically yeah. in a crawl space for like a couple hours. But unlike my e-commerce business, it's like, I can see what I accomplished for the day. You know, like, I did that. There's a yeah. level of satisfaction with it. And, and, and there's a quality of life for your tenant, right? I mean, there, there's somebody that has a problem and you fixed it. And that, that yeah. matters. It's satisfying. No, absolutely. And you got to love what you do, right? And it, 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 your passion for what you do comes across, right? You genuinely love it. You appreciate it. And I think that's that's also a great indicator of being successful, right? It's like, 
you know, if you don't enjoy it, if you don't love it, you know, you'll always find obstacles and define them as problems. You know, when I encounter obstacles in what I do, I think of opportunities, right? What's this trying to teach me or, you know, what can I learn from this? Yeah, I agree with that. When do you feel like you started to get to the point where you weren't going to be doing all the hands-on stuff? Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, it's it's a time of day, right? It's like there's an ROI in everything you do. I, I told you what happened to me in 07, 08, right? Which was, you know, fairly early on in my career. And by the time that, you know, we got to 2014, I purchased my first apartment complex, a townhome development in Louisville, Ohio. And I did a decent amount of work there. So that's 10 years, right? From 2005 to 2014. I think October is when we purchased it. So, you know, through that, I was still doing it. 16, 17, 18, I was very hands-on. I was on site every day, helping roll out carpet, you name it, right? I mean, and you do it, so you understand what it takes. And then, you know, we started Green Harvest Capital as a equity fund in 2017, 18 timeline. Mm -hmm. And when we started it, you know, we we have three partners. So myself, Mike Smith is the second principal in Green Harvest Capital. Mike has um, a great background. I encourage you to have him on. And Icewaterhouse Cooper guy, IBM, civil engineer by trade, you know, very much um, Six Sigma structure person. He's a process, uh, project manager certified. And so he's very structured about processes and things like that at scale. And so he brings a lot of the project management approach, right, to what we do. And then our third partner is Sagar. Sagar at present uh, works on Wall Street and, you know, is kind of the financial mind slash advisor of, of, of the group. And we call him the wizard behind the scenes where, you know, he, he has a very high aptitude comprehends macro strategy, branding, and also is one of the best financial minds that I've ever met. And so, you know, he does a lot of the advising and and is the final decision maker on a lot of our acquisitions. So the three of us came together in in 2017 and, and started, we failed a lot, 2018, 2019. We did our first acquisition as Green Harvest Capital in January of 2020. Since then, uh, we've bought a thousand apartments in, in Northeast Ohio. We're, we're vertically integrated. We have our own management company that manages all the units and also our own construction services business where we do all the work in-house. That's awesome. Talk about, so you, uh, I mean, before then, right, you were doing everything, most things yourself. Uh, maybe you started to build your own team, but uh, what kind of went through your head that decided like, I want to take on partners, right? I'm not just going to hire people, but I want to partner our skill really? sets together. Yeah. At the time I had over... I had personally developed by 2016, about a hundred units myself. Awesome. And what you, what you realize is, and again, this is going back to the 07, 08 mindset, right? Mm-hmm. In 07, 08, I never thought Wall Street could affect me on Main Street, which was real. Like I never at that age, you know, 20 something years old, ever thought that there's a correlation between the two. And, and there was. So when I saw an opportunity in, in 2015, I would talk to my partner, Sagar, who's also a friend of mine. I've known him since middle school. So Mike Smith is a neighbor of mine. He lives two houses to the right. So I've known Sagar most of my life. I have known MJ or Mike since uh, 11 years now. So again, these are longstanding relationships, right? That, that led to partnership. But having a, a fundamental conversation of one, asset allocation, diversification, two, process and project management 
drove me to the fact that, hey, listen, I have no aptitude when it comes to a 10-year bull bear base case financial model, right? I mean, I can look at a balance sheet and I can tell you what's wrong 98% of the time, right? When I look at it, it's one of the gifts that I have. But at the same time, having the financial aptitude to consistently measure, monitor, and adjust a working bull bear base case, it takes a certain amount of financial aptitude to do that, right? Also, project management at scale. You know, how, how do you renovate one apartment? Okay, fine. How do you do 10? Okay, how do you do 100, right? And it's, there are, I could spend the next 10 years learning how to do that, or I can go find somebody that has that skill set and say, hey, listen, I have this skill set. It definitely mirrors your skill set. And as a team, we will perform better. Now, with that, I'll tell you, we fundamentally agree on nothing else in life, right? The three of us have a very different viewpoint on how to approach any problem at any given time. But fundamentally, our mission, vision, you know, purpose and intention are always perfectly aligned, right? So what, we, what I believe is right, my partners believe is right. What I believe is wrong, fundamentally, they believe is wrong. So at the end of the day, we'll have very passionate disagreements with each other on an acquisition or an approach or a strategy. But at the end of the day, you know, the best idea wins, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. So, I mean, yeah, you can, when you have partners, you can focus on the things you're naturally good at, which typically are things that you might enjoy doing naturally more, right? So it makes it more fun. You have the camaraderie, but uh, yeah, there's a lot more resources. As we were talking about earlier, there's a lot more resources now because you have, you have 10 years of experience in one category. The other guy's got 10 years of experience in project management. Absolutely. So combine them together. I like it. What do you, what, uh, as far as building out processes, right? Before you even partnered with them, you had to build out a lot of processes and start to build a team to manage 100 apartments, right? Yep. What kind of tips would you have there for building processes? I'm sure that's something all business owners can relate to is we need processes. Yeah. <laughs> we need other people. Fundamentals, right? I mean, yeah. it's, you, you got to understand what you're trying to accomplish, right? What does your day look like? What does your week look like? What does your month look like? What does your year look like? Mm-hmm. And then you break that down into micro bites and then address those problems or opportunities as they come. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I hate to be so vague about it, but it's so dependent, right? It, it depends on, listen, if your goal is to build a hundred unit portfolio, your processes are very different, mm-hmm. right? And, and, and because at the end of the day, you're chasing cash flow. Mm-hmm. Right? So, so if you're, if you're, that, that's where you're stopping then the ecosystem for a hundred unit is quite a bit different than 10 units, right? And then if you cross 200 units, it's quite different. Yeah. Get there to that next level. Like, yeah, you got to do goal setting, right? Here, here's, a good, here's a good analogy, okay? Yeah. Think of how a town operates versus a state versus a country, right? It's like a mayor, right? A governor, a president, senate. Congress, right? National security, right? All of those things. And see, see those departments. I mean, that's, those are organisms, right? And businesses are very similar. If you make a million dollars in revenue, there is, you know, I, I think like only 95% of businesses globally make more than a million in revenue. So there you go. There's your differentiator, right? We talked about being lucky. Well, by all matrix, everybody in America is in the top 1%. <laughs> like mm-hmm. we have healthcare. We, we, we have all these things that, you know, if you look at a global scale, right? Mm-hmm. That other people don't have. So it's like, count your blessings on that front, right? And then it's like, okay, if you are part of that, then what resources do you have available to you? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think like thinking of it on that analogy, it's like the the bigger you get, the more the higher level your thinking has to be, right? Like the more just down to fundamentals, you you're going to start to thinking, I don't know, you're going to have to think more based on fundamentals, right? If you're the governor or president, you're not really down in the weeds of somebody who's the mayor of a city talking about specific things for their town, right? It's higher level. Yeah. Higher level. I haven't been in either position, but I, I imagine. I, I would know, I would know what the, you know, the governor has to say, but at the same time, you absolutely have the same dynamics at play, right? Operating 10 units, you, you can, you have 24 hours in a day, right? You work X amount of hours a day. And then you can devote X amount of time from your day to each one of those assets. Now, if you had a hundred, how much could you actually devote, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. As your business also gets bigger, you know, uh, we were talking about this a little bit earlier, but you have to change your your mental ha- your mental health, right? You have to keep yourself sane as your business continues to grow. The demands for your time and your focus grows. How have you been able to balance all that with a very rapidly growing portfolio of apartments and hotels? Yeah, I mean, work-life balance is, is absolutely difficult, right? I mean, my wife does an amazing job of, you know, she, she runs she runs a real estate business like I do. And, and you know, we work extremely hard to kind of have discipline. And, and we have two kids, so a seven-year-old and a two-year-old. So trying to get to bed at 7.30 is important, right? Because our day starts early. So we got to make sure we get them to bed so then we can have some work time in the evening hours. But yeah, routine, uh, you know, being mindful of what you eat, what time you go to bed, all those things are very important. What do you do to keep your your mind healthy? What do you feel like helps you uh, lower stress levels, feeling of overwhelm, all that stuff? What do you recommend? Um, I don't recommend. It depends on what your personality is like very much to, to what helps, right? Sometimes going to the gym helps, you know, mindfulness helps, you know, being touch on that, touch on that for me. What do you mean by mindfulness? You yeah, kind so, of shared me a little bit what that meant, but, uh, sure. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's a practice of quieting your mind. Right. And, and so, you know, if you, if you sit in a focused state of being for, you know, three to five minutes where you basically comprehend how not to have a thought, right. So you, you quiet the mind and, and it's a very difficult thing to do especially for a person like me, <laughs> who's always thinking. So it, it definitely helps you kind of focus and, and, and realign throughout the day. And I, I try to practice it usually during the mornings, you know, and again, it's not hours, it's just five to 10 minutes. I try to hit the gym in the mornings when my schedule allows. But the true year old, it's difficult. Yeah. Okay. Mindfulness. So it's uh, trying to focus on not having a thought, just kind of letting your mind rest. And yeah. how does that help? Does it help you just kind of then you know, stop looking at what you're looking at and come back with a fresh set of eyes? Or uh, do you feel like it's more of just an internal, more internal piece that you have throughout the day? Or is it just hard to explain <laughs> no matter what? It just, it just helps. I'm, I'm probably not going to do it justice, right? So, okay, for me, if I had to distill it, oftentimes we have thoughts and perceptions, positive, negative, doesn't matter, right? It just, you do. You make judgments on things very quickly, you're, you're reacting to a phone call or an interaction with somebody. And, and for me, in order to quiet my mind, I have to be extremely present. And that's the best way I can describe it. And, and the ability to be present in the moment gives you the ability to make better decisions. I can't do it any more justice than that. <laughs> okay. I like it. Yeah, it helps be more present. And then, uh, yeah, if you're more present, your mind wants to wander all sorts of different places, right? This could happen potentially yeah. that. I don't know. It helps you just stay present on what's in front of me. That's, exactly. Yeah. 
It's one step at a time, right? It's the equation of like, okay, you you have a broader vision or, or something you want to accomplish, but what are you doing in this moment, right? Because that's the only thing you can control at the end of the day. Yeah, and being able to have better decision making for what you can do this moment is obviously going to help put you on a different, a better trajectory than if you aren't in very good control of that. Yeah, and, and, and the ability to continuously, you know, do that, right? The repetition of it, the habit of it. Yeah. I don't know. So you've got two kids, right? One of the things uh, you were talking about was kind of the mindset that your mom had when you came over here of just like opportunity, right? And that was really instilled in you. What do you think are some of the, I don't know, mindsets that you want to help instill in your children for the life that they're entering into here in the USA? Yeah, great. You know, so I I, I try to raise my children with the same similar mindset as, as I have had the fortunate opportunity to, to provide for you, right? Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, I'm, I'm very, uh, I encourage them to ask why, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, my seven-year-old has a million questions and I'll say, okay, keep going, right? Why do you feel that way? Or, you know, why do you think it is that way? And the other thing is, you know, I, I think curiosity should be encouraged because I think that's very important. I think if you're curious, you're inquisitive, right? And, mm-hmm. and those are good, good skill sets. I encourage them to, you know, focus on EQ as much as IQ, because I think it's important to be yeah, one more time. Focus on what? Emotional intelligence as much okay. as you know um, IQ, because at the end of the day, we live in a world where we have a lot of access to information, data, and analytics in real time, right? Mm-hmm. So, like I, I always think of this analogy: like in the 1960s, the smartest person in the room was the person that could tell you the distance between the Earth and the Moon in miles, kilometers, and meters, right? Probably, like. Like who knows that? Nobody. Well, today, you know, your, your, your smartphone can probably tell you any question you have about any specific topic. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what it cannot tell you is, hey, how do you interact with individuals, right? How do you, how do you conform to or, or help each other, you know, accomplish goals? And I think that's so important, right? The team sport aspect of things. Yeah, emotional intelligence versus just an IQ. I like that. How do you uh, instill that in your child? So we have five month old and, you know, I was telling you that uh, he's a little bit, you know, we're not really in that phase of parenting yet, but (laughs) yeah, yeah, what do you think? Or just helping myself instill it more within me. No, I think, you know, uh, social interaction is very important, right? I mean, our two year old, you know, was born literally right before the pandemic. So, you know, we're sending her to a two hour, you know, for two days a week to her school program where she can interact with other toddlers. And we, we encourage them to get out on the playground and, and, you know, we'll set up play dates. And I think those things are important for, for kids. And again, take, take everything I say with a grain of salt, right? I mean, you know, <laughs> seven years into a 18 to 25 year journey that I'm going to hopefully be a part of my daughter's lives and then kind of hopefully pass on some of what I think is important. Again, you know, with children, it's evolving. I mean, I, I try to, I try to give them time. I try to take them to school every day. Right. So mm-hmm. When I do, you know, we'll, we'll listen to we'll listen to some music. We'll we'll set the tone for the day, you know. And you know, kids grow up and like they, they get up in all kinds of moods, right? And then like I try to frame it so that like, hey, you know, it's gonna be a good day. Go out there, and doesn't matter what happened yesterday, you know, just take today on and things like that. And then you know, in the evenings, I always put them to bed, and I try to frame their mind to say like, hey, listen, no matter what happened today, tomorrow's a new day, right? Yeah. And, and, you know, or, you know, my, my seven-year-old would be like, oh, you know, I got into an argument with so-and-so and, and I'm like, well, what could you have done better? Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and instead of putting the onus on what somebody else did, I always think of like, well, how did you react to that? You know, and yeah. 
yeah, and these are easier things to say than do, right? I mean, I, I need these lessons for myself quite a bit. Yeah, those are good things, though. I like those. But uh, awesome. Yeah, well, uh, I really appreciate you taking time with us today to share your wisdom. You know, I've got a lot to learn to keep growing my own real estate portfolio, help my own emotional intelligence, for sure. But uh, yeah, as far as people learning more about you, what's the best way for them to connect with you or learn more about yeah. you know, what you're doing with your portfolio, your fund? I'm active on LinkedIn, happy to connect and, and talk more real estate. You know, we're big believers in Northeast Ohio and the state of Ohio as a whole. So happy to discuss, you know, why we believe that it's a great place to live and to do business. I like it. Awesome. Well, uh, B, thanks so much for uh, doing this with me today, being on here and sharing your wisdom. Good Thank luck you. to you. <laughs> we appreciate your kind words and pleasure being on, buddy. Yep. Thanks. Yeah.